Today we celebrate the Feast of the Transfiguration on this Sunday. And this feast really touches on essentially the aspects of prayer. What does it mean to really experience God in our life of prayer? And right now we're in a, in a state of transition, right? A state from going over summer to whether it's going into school, to work, to new relationships, transition. And one thing about transition, it's not about what you're going into, but how you enter into it. And prayer is the how that transforms everything else when we get it right. But speaking of that word how, I had a retreat this last summer, and I had a, a lot of lights from it. It was a real special time. But at the end of it, you know, sometimes a retreat is like going up a mountain, like the transfiguration, where you go up, you experience great light and in intimacy with God, but then we have to come down. Then you have to just go into normal life again the day-to-day -day struggles. And the question I kept asking my spiritual director as I was coming off this retreat was, well, how am I going to take care of this? Or how am I going to take care of that when I get there? Like, how am I going to hold on to the graces that I've received so this doesn't just become a momentary thing and it actually stays with me? And he said something to me that really hit me. He said, how is a profane word. How has nothing to do with God. Because how assumes that God won't be there for you to guide you when you get there. The answer you're looking for can never come from a how, but from who? A presence that promises to be with you, to guide you through all that you encounter. And that's what God offers us in our own prayer life. He doesn't offer us a, a complete system to tell us every answer that we need to our problems. What he says over and over again in the scriptures is, I will be with you. I will guide you. And he, oftentimes he doesn't even tell us what we need to know so that we have to rely on him. Because the more we understand anything in life, the less we need God's presence, right? So he likes to leave things vague so that we learn to rely on him. And that, I think that's really important for the context of today's gospel because we can't understand what's happening in the transfiguration when Christ goes up this Mount, Mount Tabor with the disciples without understanding the context. And what happened right before Mount Tabor was the disciples were with Christ in Caesarea Philippi. And it was the first time in Christ's mission with them when he revealed that his mission was not to convert all of the Jews to follow him, not to expel all the Romans, not to feed everybody, become a social justice warrior, like all these different conceptions of what they wanted Christ to be or thought the Messiah would be, said the Son of Man must go to Jerusalem, must be rejected, mocked, beaten, and put to death on a cross and on the third day rise again. This was a total shock for them. And this is a total turning point for Christ in his ministry. It's no longer this great exaltation where everyone is getting, you know, closer and closer and he's getting a majority of following. This is a time when more and more people will begin to reject Christ as he goes towards Jerusalem. And right after that prophecy that he speaks, in this time of confusion and difficulty and change, he takes them up Mount Tabor. And it's there that he is transfigured before them. 
And I think Jesus himself, he wasn't just going there to show the apostles, like, look what I can do, you know? And of course, like the, uh, the old prophet Elijah and Moses appear to him as a blessing from the Old Testament. That's what that represents. The law and the prophets. And what is he talking to them about? In the Gospel of Luke, it says he's speaking to them about his exodus that he would complete in Jerusalem. So he's talking about his passion. And in that, the Father appears to him in the cloud and speaks to him. I think Christ was going up that mountain not to look into the how everything would happen, but he needed the who of his Father's presence. He needed to know that his Father was with him in this next step of his journey. And he invited the apostles to come with him so they too could experience the presence and voice of the Father to strengthen them when he takes them up the next mountain of Calvary. It's the same three apostles who he brings with him into Gethsemane. He allows them to see the great light, but then he allows them to experience the darkness with him. He was to strengthen them. And that, that's the essence of prayer for us. That's what our prayer should be oriented towards, is the experience not so much of a how, of do, am I going to take care of my life, but the presence of God. Just this week, as I'm writing this homily, I go in to, uh, to do a holy hour in the morning, and I had so many things on my mind, I brought my computer. And I ended up spending my entire holy hour emailing and taking care of business at the office. So I got all these things done. But when I walked out of there, absolutely no presence of God with me. Right? Felt even worse than when I had gone in to pray. But I had all these things taken care of. And the rest of my day reflected that. You ever notice that when you experience God in a day, when you can really experience His presence, it changes the way you walk out after that. And that's why the, the essential prayer method that I want to talk about today is R. You know, it's, it's very cliche. It's like you pray like a pirate, R. You know, it's that A-R-R. You get the dad jokes again. It's been a long summer, so I have them all built up for you. So A-R-R, it's acknowledge, relate, and receive. It's very simple, but this is, the, this is really the core of how we are to pray as Catholics. We acknowledge what we're going through. You have to be really reflective of what am I feeling in my heart? Christ had a lot he was going through in that moment when he went to the Father on Mount Tabor. The fear of losing the faith of all these people who were following him. The fear of the rejection of the very people that he came to save. The fear of the suffering he would undergo on Calvary. And he brought that all to God in prayer. And God responded to it. So the first thing is you, you have to be honest when you go to pray of what am I going through? What am I feeling? So if I had gone in to do my holy hour this last week, and instead of trying to take care of everything that I wanted to take care of, I just told God, I feel like I'm overwhelmed. I have too many things I have to take care of, and I don't know how I'm going to get it all done. And then I relate that to God, and then you wait to receive his response. So you acknowledge, you relate, and you receive. And I think we can get too practical with our prayer at times, where it's like if I just do these external obligations of the rosary and, you know, liturgy of the hours, all that's good and necessary, but we don't get to the heart. You know, I think 
a lot of talking to God is almost like how women talk to men. Yeah, we're talking about genders again. It's been a long summer, too, talking about that. So have you guys ever seen that uh, video, uh, It's Not About the Nail? No, you have to watch that. It's on YouTube. It's hilarious. So it's this woman. She's opening up, and her and her husband are having the conversation, and she's just really upset, and she's like, you know, I just have this constant headache. I, I, I just don't feel good. I can't take off my sweaters without ripping them. I keep bumping into things, and I just don't know what to do about it. And then it slowly pans up and you see a big nail sticking out of her forehead. And the man's just looking at her like, maybe the problem is the... And before he could even say, she's like, don't mention the nail. It's not about the nail. She's like, I, and he's just killing himself because he wants to answer the problem, right? And she's like, well, I just... It really hurts me, and I don't feel like anyone understands, and it's this constant pain, and I keep ripping all my clothes, and he's just biting back, he's like... That sounds really hard. And she's like, it is. Thank you. You know, and it's like, that's all she needed. She's like, when you're talking to a woman, it's not about the nail. It's about the experience. Actually, I had to learn this the hard way with, uh, I was talking to Alberto and I was, I always, I've, Alberto's name's going to come up all the time. That's part of what you get for being my campus minister. But I was like, gosh, I can't, I can't get through to my mom and my sister. We're always arguing about these things. And uh, I realized my biggest problem when I was talking to them, I was talking to them like I talked to my brothers. And I made a really bad mistake because I tried to use logic. <laughs> and it just doesn't, it doesn't work the same way, right? It's like Chris Rock once said, men, you have a handicap when you're going into an argument with a woman. Because men, we have a need to make sense. Women aren't going to let sense mess up their argument, you know? So... <laughs> Yeah, that's good. Um, but Alberto brought up, he's like, yeah, I get in fights with my sisters all the time. He goes, but I'm never trying to convince them of anything. He's like, all I want to do is listen to them and try to understand as much as possible where they're coming from. And until that happens, I'm not even going to try to give my point to them. Because first they need to know that I love them and I'm with them and I understand. And I was like, that sounds really, really hard to do. He's like, yeah, but he's, he's a pro. But and then I, at the same time, I'm reading this book, uh, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And they said one of the ma- major habits that every great leader needs to have is understanding. And if your people that you work with do not feel like you understand them, nothing's going to be related. Right? You cannot actually lead. You cannot have their trust. And so if that's true for all successful people, that means that it's a fundamental human experience that we need to feel understood by the other. When you're in formation as seminarians, you need to feel understood by your formators. When you're in a relationship with your spouse, your girlfriend, boyfriend, you need to feel understood. That's essential. So how is it any different when we go to pray to God? It's one of the fundamental experience of God understanding what I'm going through and speaking to that long before he tries to give us any answer is essential for us in our spiritual life. And that's what I I just invite you to go into this next week of your prayer. Are you relating, acknowledging what you're going through, number one, because we can't communicate what we don't understand ourselves. Do I understand what's going on in my own heart at this time in my life? 
And am I relating that to God in such a way that I'm giving Him the opportunity to speak to that? Acknowledge, relate, and receive. Because in the end, what we're not, we're not looking for as human beings is the how-to of life. And God doesn't offer us the how-to. What He offers us is the who, His presence. And just as Christ had that experience on Tabor, then he had to descend to go towards the cross. Peter and his apostles said, let's stay here. Let's make three tents. Christ didn't need that. He experienced his father on that mountaintop. So he was in strengthened to go into the world, to descend, to take up his cross and fulfill his mission on this earth. And when we truly experience God in our prayer, especially in the liturgy, then we too can go back into our lives, back into the world, carrying the experience of God's presence with us. All we must do is acknowledge where we're at, be vulnerable enough to relate that to God, and receive His response. On this altar, in our very mouths, into the very depths of our being. That's the whole purpose of prayer in our life.